are making a strategic investment today, 600K, I believe that those investments will probably be worth 660 in another six months time. Preach. Hello, hello. Hey guys, it's Dominic Neshi with Sam Assad, Louis Heaton, uh, commonly known as The View. Fellas, how are you all today? Well, really well good, yeah. yeah. I'm, good. <laughs> I'm good for so, a lockdown week. Yeah, good good for a lockdown week. Um, for all of you that are listening out there, whether you're in the car or you know in, in lockdown like the rest of us, I hope you are having a good lockdown week. And for the people that are so lucky to be walking around and out of the houses, good on you. Today, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be giving a market update. We're going to be talking about how the, mo- the market has performed over the past six months and give you a little bit of an insight into how we see the, the, the next six months rolling out. Um, and we've been mixing up the show a little bit. So today we're going to be doing the weekly toss-up. We're going to be comparing rent vesting versus buying your own home. And these listener questions, uh, we've been getting a whole heap of questions from the people that are out there. So continue doing that. We're going to touch on a couple of good questions from listeners out there. And if you wait all the way to the end, we've got a few hot tips and predictions about how we think things are going to roll out, what you should be doing and how you can capitalize on this market. So I guess without further ado, let's jump into the show. Um, Fellas, I mean, it's been a pretty strong start to the year. One of the fastest runs that the Australian property market has had in a, in a very long time. Um, CoreLogic just recently put out a whole heap of data. And to me, the clear winners have been the, the, um, the smaller states and in particular houses. Um, was there anything in the in the the data that surprised you, or or didn't surprise you? And you anticipated it would be like that. Tom, I think um, I think it was probably I think it went as how everyone thought it would go. I think it went further and harder than than people than most people predicted. Um, but I think it, it fell in line with. If you look back on how the property markets run before, I think it the the same the same core the same core assets or the same the same real data really reflected what happened years ago. Probably probably ran a little bit harder than usual. Um, obviously, we've spoken about the government stimulus packages and, and the and the incentives and, and the mood of the mood of the buyers and, and the auctions. But I think that predictively, I think it it went in due course to what people thought it was going to do once the market started running, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I mean, it, it is reflective of a lot of the other markets. One thing that surprised me in particular is how hard, um, you know, the Hobart, Darwin and Canberra ran. You know, if you have a look at the the year to date, you had 12%, 11% and 9% respectively. Mm. But you, if you get the the um, the total return that that includes the rental yields, mm. you're looking at something like twenty two percent, twenty six percent, and twenty percent, both growth, uh, total annual growth and gross yield, which is just huge numbers. Um, the the major states or the the states that I like to pay most attention to: Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Um, they didn't go as hard or as fast as I anticipated. But I still think they've got a lot of uh, 
a lot of leg work to do. So mm. Sydney obviously grew by 11%. Brisbane ran by 10, which was a big, a big surprise. But Melbourne only did that 5%. Mm. Sam, did that surprise you to see Melbourne only do 5% and in fact have that sort of negative, uh, like the yields really suffered, like the, the, the rental returns only at 2.9%? Yeah, look, I, I feel, I think I've mentioned it previously, I feel like there was some confidence lost, um, you know, uh, with their lockdown that they went through, uh, you know, late last year and that rolled on to this year, even though there was some serious confidence, some surge, some really good hype that was happening. But I feel like a, a lot of different other factors got played into it um, and I feel as though Melbourne was the less attractive state to, I feel, to purchase into because of those, um, you know, because of the way, you know, the market, you know, you know, started off and, and I feel like there was an emotive response to it as well um, and that all plays into the, to the role of, of just general growth. So it's some growth for Melbourne, I guess, for, for the last six months, but um, not as well as the other capital cities, no. And, you know, it's, it, is, it, it isn't surprising because Melbourne was locked up for so much time but when I dive into the data, one thing that is a big standout to me is how much, uh, you know, houses in particular outperformed units. And that's, that's more or less across all the states except for Hobart and Darwin. They had some incredible results. They had 11% price growth in apartments uh, in both of them or 11.3, 11.4. But when you look at the other states, it's kind of, you know, Sim Sydney's apartments moved by sort of 5.3%. Brisbane and Melbourne grew only modestly. Um, that, that, was, that wasn't so much of a surprise, but I think for me, it's a bit of an indication that it, it looks like it's an opportunity, I think. You know, we often talk about it, how, you know, Houses run, historically speaking, and then apartments soon follow. Or, or Sydney will run and then Brisbane kind of follows, Melbourne kind of follows. So there's these leading and lag effects. So when I look at the data, I see that houses have run at 10 15%, 20% in some states, and the apartments only move by 2 3 4%. So as, you know, uh, investment analysts, for me, that was one of the most uh, obvious signs that, hey, there's something that we should be paying attention to. I agree. And, and, and I like that you've mentioned that, Dom, because, um, you know, I think everybody just follows the hype and everybody needs to purchase a home. But, but I think you said something really, uh, you know, a little bit profound by saying that it isn't, um, it, it's actually an opportunity for yourself. If you're buying into something that um, people are, are probably, you know, steering themselves away to because they're fixated on a certain kind of purchase, I feel like the redundant dwellings, are going to come and, 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 and follow through and follow suit and will ebb and flow to the point where um, they are giving you sustainable returns. Dom, do you think that, and Sam actually, do you both think that we get asked all the time, Darwin or Adelaide, Perth, Hobart, do you think they're sustainable growth? Obviously, they, they grew what is said to be the hardest. Do you think it's sustainable though? Uh, no, I think that they, that those states have run well. I think those states have run well, particularly because of um, affordability 
I think affordability is one of the been those big things and, and also because, you know, I consider those markets, they're not regional, but they are more regional compared to Sydney or Melbourne because of the size of the populations. Second tier. Um, yeah, they're kind of the second tier markets. I do see them as opportunistic. You know, if if you don't have a lot of money to spend and you're and you're patient enough, if you're patient enough to go and learn about these markets and, and you're a bit more courageous, I think that they're good opportunities. But if I'm going to be building a portfolio, I start around, you know, the meat and, meat and potatoes to use, you know, your mom's Irish and that's what she's going to serve mm-hmm. up on the plate. That's what's going to sustain you. So start with meat and potatoes, Sydney, Melbourne, because um, they're the most sustainable. And then those other markets, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and then after that, you've got the smaller yeah. markets. Yeah, I agree. Mm. And I agree. And I guess everybody saw that as an opportunity um, to purchase from a cheaper price point, whether it was an entry price point or a, you know, a, a further, you know, further purchase. But I do feel like um, at some point, the market will turn back into the main capital economic cities like Melbourne and Sydney, um, and they would still be heated and, and, and simmer, simmer nicely and and stay consistent in terms of growth um, over the next few periods to come. Well, Sydney's Sydney's hammering. You know, it's it's it is now coming back in full speed this month. It's it's done a tremendous result. And one of the things that we're paying attention to is just the amount of supply. Mm-hmm. There isn't enough. I think the ratio at the moment in in, in the major <coughs> markets, the the ratios are at one point one. So that's to say that we're selling 1.1 homes compared to how much is being listed. So we're we're selling faster than the amount of stock that's coming onto the market currently. So that's that's telling me that there's a lot of buying energy. People are wanting to buy. And I read a recent report the other day where a lot of developers, a lot of landowners are talking about government not supporting the Australian economy by creating enough uh, land subdivisions, by giving enough DAs or development application approvals. So we're facing a severe uh, supply shortage in the Australian market, particularly in the major metropolitan hubs. So if you look at that, that's really a two, three, four-year indicator on what the market's going to do. So if we continue at the same rate of uh, demand and we've got these, these, these low levels of supply, I really think that we're going to continue seeing these types of, this, this type of growth. What, what do you think? What do you guys think? I mean, we don't, we don't invest based on short-term growth metrics. You know? we, we will take advantage of them if we can see them there. But you know, if we're looking at... Uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, choose whichever state, Canberra, Louis, I know you love Canberra. Um, how do you see the rest of this year playing out? Where where are you? What, what I know we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but we've got new information. We're coming out of COVID uh, lockdowns and stuff. How do we see this, this next six months rolling out? I think the, the, new, <clears throat> the new media and the new government push at the moment is to see the I think a lot of we went through a lot of a confident period. COVID sort of it, it pulled pulled back our restrictions loosened. There's no lockdowns for a long time, and now currently, you know, we're we're sort of entering that that zone again. And I think the, the government changed their view to let's we're doing great, but we need to get a vaccine movement on, and we we can see the back end of this. Which I thought about the other day. I think that in I think it 
subconsciously instilled a lot of confidence back into the Australian people that we're actually going to see the back end of this. And I think that may be enough to then still promote, uh, how do you say, promote more hunger and people to get into the market. I thought that coming into the end of financial year, the the packages were wearing off. Uh, the government couldn't put much more money into, you know, spending into promoting people to buy houses or, or, or property. And I thought that may have uh, pulled everyone back a bit. But I think that uh, to answer your question, Dom, the, the fact that we can almost see the back end of this pandemic or the back end of the Australia being shut and we look at migration again, we look at international travel, we look at people coming to the country, I think that's going to be enough to maintain uh, the growth period for, you know, I think an extended amount of time. So I don't think we're going to see it come off a lot uh, as what we, we answered this, uh, you know, a podcast or two ago. I think it's definitely going to come back. Every, every you know, every investment, whether or not it's stocks or anything, you're going to see lull periods. You're going to see, you know, a, a correction. I think there will be a correction, but I, I think that now we can, we forecast at the end of the, the pandemic and the and, and we can see where we're going to head next. I think it's going to be able to maintain a, a level of growth that that if you do looking to get into the market now, you're still going to get a win. So, so let me just hammer in on what you've just said there. Um, you've just said that you know we can see the end of this pandemic coming, and there is a bit of confidence there. Um, the government has cr- created a whole bunch of new incentive for you mm. know single parents and first home buyers. Da 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 da. Let me ask a question more plainly. Will we see the same growth that we have for the first part of this year into the second part? Like, yes or no? No. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, when you say, when you, so you think so, yes, Sam? And yeah, you think we're going to see the same levels of growth? Um, I, look, I wouldn't say as, as, as hyped up as the first quarter of this year, but I'm going to see some, I, I, I think we're going to see some still modest growth as things start to, post-COVID normal start to come out. So mm. I feel like we're in this irrational period where there's a shortage of supplies and I feel like the, the mainstream media at the moment is, 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 is subconsciously telling us that we need to do ABC for ABC to for, for us to resume our post-normal lives and I feel like that will play into a, account um, into the market starting to correct itself and to cool itself. But right now I, I feel as though even though things are still moderately growing, um, there's still that um, eagerness to get into the market and purchase. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another 10 10 to 15% price growth in the major markets. You know, so if you put that into context, um, let's put put some of this in the context because some of our listeners, some of our listeners have been on the fence and have been unsure and have been hunting for the perfect property and haven't bought anything, right? Yeah. And some of our listeners have come forward and said, hey, I want to buy something. Let's get it going. Yeah. And for the people that had bought a 600K investment at the start of this year, that property is actually worth around 660, 670. Yeah. So that's $60,000 in their pocket. Now, I want to say to all the people out there, I believe that if you are making a strategic investment today, 600k. I believe that those investments will probably be worth 660 in another six months' time. Preach. That's how I'm seeing the market. You know, preach. That's how <laughs> I'm seeing it. Have you, have you guys? I know that you're talking to clients every day. Have there been any anecdotal wins 
or or losses because people have skipped out on the deal the last minute or bought the deal and, and things changed? Yeah, I've seen some hesitancy um, uh, based on really um, on, on fear. And we all know that you can't base decisions, you know, on fear alone because you'll make no move whatsoever. Um, but I also am so happy to, to, to actually um, to be involved with clients that have considered investments and have hit the green button and have already seen some mini wins happen within their first or second investment property that they've purchased either through us or, or wherever it might be. So I, 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 a client by the name of Charlie, and he listens to us quite regularly, um, he was a hard client and he will concur to that. He was a very hard client, bought a townhouse out in West. We got him a really good deal on the, on the townhouse itself. And now I'm getting WhatsApp messages saying, I'm sorry that I gave you a hard time. I know it's worth this much, et cetera, et cetera. So that to me means is that, you know, that there is, you know, a, a level of, you know, um, a truth to, you know, what we're preaching and, you know, and, and what we want our clients to get involved into because at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. Um, and, you, you know, if, you, if you've got in, you'll win. There is some, still some time to get in. You'll still win um, and you're still thinking about it. Um, procrastination is going to cost you. Um, and, and, and that's just that's just all throughout, I think, in any in investment journey. Well, Charlie, thanks for supporting us, listening to the show. Uh, we appreciate that. And I'm glad you trusted Sam. You did the right thing. Um, what did that win look like for him? What What did he purchase roughly? How, how much? You, Can you, you share know, that? I, I will share. But, you know, he, he purchased something. He purchased a three-bedroom townhouse um, in, a, in a small townhouse development. He purchased it at $620,000. Um, yeah. The fellow townhouses are now exactly the same configuration. There's no changes whatsoever. They're now for sale at six hundred and sixty to six hundred and seventy thousand, and I have to say that these haven't even been built yet. So he has not incurred any holding costs, and in fact, he's only just put a ten percent deposit down and is sitting nice and tight. Now that's a really, really good case scenario because he's already now messaging me saying, as soon as this settles, we have to get the second. So for me, that this is why I do what well. This is what we do. What we do because. It not only gives us a little bit of a kick, but we feel as though is that we're not just preaching, you know, um, you know, some dream um, that 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 people are actually taking these kind of investment risks and are already starting to see some kind of you know outcome to it. Well, but Louis, I want to, I want to come to you next, but I just want to really drill on this point because although although we don't invest for the short term, the reason why me as an investment analyst and why me as an investor like to kind of put a little bit of pressure and get clients doing things today is because of that exactly. Because the clients that were smart enough to do something six months ago are now in a position where these properties are going to be finishing September, October, and they're going to have instant equity. They can redraw on that loan and they can go again. So for any of those purchases, I'm, so I'm talking to the, the clients out there that are a little bit more aggressive, not the nervous Nellies, but the ones listening that are a bit aggressive and have got to be in their bonnet and they want to uh, accelerate their investment journey, you need to act. Because if you act in this market while the market's running, you've got this window of opportunity where you can use that growth, redraw on your loan and go again. And that's what I managed to do. I managed to buy a couple of properties very quickly within two or three years and then I didn't do anything for a couple of years because we're building a business and blah, blah, blah. 
and the market didn't do anything, so there wasn't any growth. So this is this is a really good uh, window of opportunity. Nonetheless, Louis, what about you? Any wins or stories about your clients or people that may have missed out on a deal that passed through your hands and you thought, holy shit, that was a great deal? Or I, <clears throat> it's funny when when we complete a <clears throat> we can when we complete a set of investments. You know, we only picked up a fair few or only only a couple for our investors to look at. So often, not within our own ecosystem of, of our investors, they get snapped up pretty quickly. So one of um one of uh, one of the people we talk to a lot in, in our world, uh, they competed against one of our own almost there, but they were, they were hesitant. They said, oh, look, I'm going to wait for the next one. I'm going to wait for it. It was a Melbourne uh, a Melbourne townhouse. They said, look, yeah, I'll wait for the next one. It's fine. I'm just going to hold hold you know, hold you off for the for the time being. Um, they didn't pick it up. Now they're getting uh, the exact same product in a, in a later stage release as we took more on, but for a 40K increase. So... It, it, it's, and that's, it, that's that's 10% nearly, right? Yeah, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow because we go, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow because they go, look, I'm, I'm still getting a property and, and, and it's sub $500,000 for a four-bedroom townhouse. You know, I could have picked it up for 440 but now I'm picking it up for 489 So it, it's a, a feeling of a win for one person but a feeling a bit of pill to swallow for someone else. But in saying that, it, it attests to what we said. Look, these are going to be – this is a good deal now. Six months' time, the the next stage of release comes. We pick up a, a few more selective or selected lots. You know, same product, same size, but with a forty k increase. So, and and what and we said the same thing. You know, once once these three go, if we do decide as a team to pick up more lots in in this same in in the same in the same development, same community, they're going to come at an, another twenty to thirty k increase. So. And that's the thing about this business, right? We, we we have to continually adjust what we see as good value. You know, every single time we go out there, we've got such a broad perspective on all the markets. You can you can feel value, right? And you have to continually adjust what is good value because you know if you just look at one market in isolation, you might go, "Holy crap!" Spending. You know, eight hundred thousand dollars in a two bedroom. That sounds like it's too much. But if it's relative to all the stuff, other stuff in the suburb, it may be really, really good value. Mm. So it's about put it into <clears throat> perspective, I guess. Um, I was going to ask you fellas another question. So I think this is probably a good time to to jump into it because I think we've had a couple of clients that have asked us recently. I want to jump into the weekly toss-up and I don't know if, if this is necessarily a good name to call it a toss-up, uh, but what do we think? Rent vesting versus buying your own home, okay? And mm. this is a big question that I know a lot of your clients and a lot of our listeners are thinking about and it's it's interesting because... For them, it's not just as simple as rent vesting, buy my own home. They're thinking about something that is a lot more uh, deeper. It might be something along the lines of, do I go and aggressively make more money versus, say, security? Or do I want flexibility versus stability? And depending upon what part of your life you're up to, Mm. my cousin said to me, hey, Dom, his, his name's Carl. He's like, listen, I can't. I can't handle the idea of rent vesting because 
I want my kids to be stuck in the house. I don't want the landlord to push me out. I want my school to I want I want to be in the local school catchment area. So it's not feasible in his mind where that emotional attachment, the idea of rent vesting, it's too much. He wants to own his own home. He wants to stay in the 10 years, and that's for him. Okay, that's fine. But you know, for the other clients that are out there that haven't got such firmly set roots. I really believe that rent vesting is a good strategy, and we talk about it all the time. Yeah. What What do you guys think? You know, let, let's let's play devil's advocate, play either side of that that thing. First of all, rent vesting is real; it works. People, it seems like people don't believe it, or it's it's not even a strategy to consider. Um, I can talk quite personally about this. I I live with the, one of my best mates of mine. He he's picking up his third apartment in in about three years. Owns three apartments, one in the uh, one in the the north, you know, Parramatta Westfield catchment. Now he's he's picked up a second piece of product down down south, looking at the Congrel Congrel way, and now he's looking to he's looking to pick up his final place in the in the Pennant Hills sort of region. But this whole time he's done he's done his due diligence in, in a way that he's lived in it for six months, or six to twelve months. He has like over the past three years, but now he's living, he's rent vesting, he's living in a place where he wants to live. And and we when we do our cash flows and whatnot, and we're pretty open with each other, and I can see where what rents are come what rents are coming in, where they're going out, his fees and everything, he makes it work, and it works for him. I'm not saying this is a good strategy for someone who has four kids and they're they're more of on the safer side of things. It is a riskier play, and you do you do you do get a lifestyle reward. Obviously, he could be saving. There might be some some different. Uh, you know, there, there could be more savings to be had if he was to maybe live in one or whatever. There might be different strategies, but he gets the reward in the lifestyle sense. And if you're a, and if you are a lifestyle person, lifestyle orientated person that wants to still live and at the same time continuously pick up property, then it's a strategy that I think that it is feasible and it does work if done right. I know, I know that the view that Sam's looking at. So he's a rent investor. Mm. It works for me, uh, though. It, and it's it, it is hard because when a client says to me, "Should I buy my own home um, or should I buy an investment property?" I can't really dictate and tell them that how we've been brought up, the great Australian dreams to buy your own home and pay off your mortgage and try to deter them of of obtaining that kind of you know conscious security. Um, is, you know, the, the, the redundant option of buying your investment property. I personally um, have a handful of investment properties, but I, but I rent. Um, and, and, and it's because the way I see it is that I don't need to live in my own home. Um, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to live in the home that I own for me to be able to invest and, and you know, have, have nest eggs elsewhere. So, I think it's a level of of a bit of an education, um, and also a level of you know also also knowing what your intentions or your investment strategy is for yourself. So uh, it, it takes a little bit of time to figure figure it out, but it has to work uh, for your personal circumstance. Mm. And I, horses for courses, yeah, go mm. Louis. I, and I, I think that I can almost say this for the three of us: where us. Three individuals are quite. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't put the, the the word on it. But if we were to get 
removed from uh, our home right now, the ones we live in, within a week we have another one and at the same time our lives aren't altered too much. So I understand where the fear comes from if you're packing up the family of four kids and you have to find a four-bedroom home that's within walking distance to a school you need to be. I, I, that's why that's why I want to make it clear that I'm not, you know, preaching the rent vesting because it doesn't, it would work for me. You know, it's, it's, our lives are quite, you can, with the click of our fingers, we, we pack up our bags and, and then there's another property to rent, you know, two blocks down because it's not very, you know, we're in a market that it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite versatile. Our, our individual lives are versatile. Whereas I understand that where the fear comes from if it's not for you. And, and if, it, and, it, and if that is the case, then, you know, do, do the, do the numbers and the digits and really stack it up to see if it, if it is something for you. See, I, I agree with everything that you guys have just said. It's not for everybody. Uh, it is a time and place kind of thing. And that there are certain advantages to living in your own home. You know, I'm, I'm considering at some point in time, probably not now, but buying my own home and, and doing a renovation and, then selling it at some point in time because if you do do that, then your own home doesn't trigger a CGT event. So you pay no capital gains on the profit that you've you've sold it for. Now, it does require a, a certain amount of skill. It requires like expertise and patience and, and a lot of cash. So that type of strategy, it is a good strategy, but it needs to be deployed in the right way. Mm. I think that it's probably not very appropriate to go buy your own home and renovate it and flip it and do a DA, all that kind of stuff if you're not very experienced or you haven't got the network. Um, and I think that there are safer ways for you to learn about property investment, you know, renting where you live, you know, where you want to go and have a good quality life and then investing where you can afford is a very good, easy way for you to step into the market, learn and then continue investing. If at some point in time you want to go buy your own home, you know, what do the Lebanese say? Mabruk or Selavi or run the life that you want to live, you know? I don't know how many other nationalities I can say or in languages I can say it in. <laughs> okay. So, rent investing versus buy your own home. It, it's a strategy. You know, you should go buy your own home if it suits you. But, you know, rent investing is a real thing and it should be explored. And if any of you are unsure about how it actually works, reach out to the team. We'll definitely help you. Now, um, moving over to the listener questions, I, I want to thank you all for submitting your questions. It gives us an idea about what you're thinking about, what your fears are. We had a, a lady named Ruby submit a question. She's asked, Hi, Ruby. Is, fifty... <laughs> Hi, Ruby. <laughs> is, is $50,000 savings enough to start investing in property? Sam, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Um, and, I, I, you know, a bit of a broken record, there is no such thing as a perfect investment, especially for your first investment property. Um, it's about taking the leap. Now, $50,000, that means we have to work with a certain budget. And I assure you, there'll be deals out there, there'll be dwellings out there that are, that are appropriate, um, you know, for your savings. If we were to toss the coin and I'd say to you, no, by the time you do save up that extra 50k, that might you, that you might think that it is comfortable for you to purchase, or you think it is affordable for you to purchase. Property prices have have have, have you know have have grown, so you you really haven't really did anything. So my advice is is yes, it is enough. It's just about understanding your options 
and it's also about knowing, um, you know, what you know what you can and can't do. Louis, yeah, it, it, it's more than enough. I think that you can you can buy a property uh, for a lot less cash than that. But in saying that, it's not going to be the right one. You know, so to answer your question, it, it's. $50,000 is a lot of money and it can get you a fantastic investment property, but it can also be blown down the drain with, with a bad one at the same time pretty quick. So I think that the cash amount is 100% enough and you can and you can buy a property for a lot, almost a lot less than that. But in saying just be, it can be, uh, as we always say, just be very careful in, in, the, in, the, in the research you do. Yeah, Ruby, I yeah, Ruby, I, I think you can go, you can certainly go buy a property for 50K. Um, but I want to ask you a question, Ruby. And I know I can't hear your answer, but but consider how long is it going to take you to save another 50K, as Sam's saying? Um, you know, is it going to take you another one year, two years, three years? If it's going to take you another, let's just assume another year and the market moves by 10%, that that's say $40,000 property may have moved by $40,000. So that's a $40,000 opportunity cost that could help you buy the next one. Now, if it's going to take you two years or three years and it moves by, say, 20% over three years, that's 80K that you've missed out on. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of people's trepidation and fear about saying, if I don't have enough money, it's just a, a, a fear mechanism. You don't know what the investments are. You don't know what they cost. You don't know how much cash is required. It's good to ask the question here, but maybe go a, a step deeper, reach out to the team, and they'll give you some specific knowledge about how much it will cost and those timings. And once you start unpacking that and get into buying mode, you'll learn a hell of a lot. So, Ruby, thank you for your question. Um, let's jump into one more question, gents. So, okay, this is a long question. I'm going to try and unpack it. Okay, Mary from Sydney, uh, she is interested in investing in property in other major cities versus Sydney as they are cheaper to buy into. She is curious about what the downside is, if any, and how significant they might be in the long run. So I guess the question that Mary's asking is, you know, should she invest in other Sydney cities outside of Sydney? Yeah, Sydney, yeah. Yeah. Mary's uh, – sorry, it's not Mary. Yeah, Mary sounds like a bit of a Sydney snob. Um, <laughs> let, let's start with Louis because I know what Sam's going to say. 100% there is. Um, I think that the the real opportunity at the moment <laughs> is, in other, is in other capital markets. So I think that there is for sure – um, I'm, I'm a Sydney resident myself, born and raised. So I, I see the Sydney market is, I always I call it the premier market. It's the most expensive. Um, it's, it's the fastest moving. But in saying that, I think that Sydney's had its time where it, it, is, it is true that it might be a little too expensive or might be a little overpriced. Not to say there's not good investments in the, in the city, but I think that, if you were to dismiss other capital cities, you're, you're doing wrong by yourself. Yep, agreed. Sammy? Yeah, um, uh, just don't be too hung up over your yeah. own backyard, you know. So um, that's how we lose, um, you know, opportunities. So, th- so just to answer and agree, 
uh, yes, there are really good opportunities outside um, Sydney. But just because yeah, it's cheaper, it's not better. So yeah, Mary, Sydney's great, but don't get stuck on Sydney. There's so many good markets out there. Mm. You know, Mary, if you've done any travelling, you'll realise you'll you you would have experienced the other cities. They're they're beautiful. You know, the, the people in Melbourne are, are pretty much the same as Sydney. People in Brisbane, you know, not too that too different, same two hands and everything else. Um, I think that Sydney, it can be very scary to invest in states outside of your state. But um, with, with the right guidance and if you take the time and you do your homework, there are definitely some really, really good opportunities. There are some risks and, and the risks, you should be mindful of those risks because there are certain things that you don't pick up unless you go out and see your site or have touched and felt it or you know what you're getting into and I wouldn't go buy property without any research. So, to answer your question, yes, but there are risks. Just be very careful. And also, look what look what the, the economic factors behind the growth of the markets. They can differ in each city. So, you know, don't, don't think that the, the, the reason Sydney's market grows is the reason Perth's market grows. So, be wary. Mary, thank you for your question. And to all of you listening out there, any questions, send them through to the team. We are eager to hear what you have to say. Um, gentlemen, this has been a really good podcast. I've enjoyed it. Now we're just up to the tips and predictions, any hints and tips. Um, what, what have you got for our, our wonderful listeners and viewers out today? What have you got to say to them? Just a little personal tip now that, you know, and, and the financial year has, uh, well, the new financial year has started. Um, set a goal for yourself um, mm. and, and set a goal to you know, get yourself some kind of, um, you know, an, an asset that's, that's uh, you know, that, that's going to anticipate to grow. So those tax refunds will be looking nice and juicy at the moment. But I think the, um, the goal should be for yourself is to, is to get yourself involved in investing in property. Yeah, I love it. Louis? <laughs> um, a year... A property specialist. So, yeah, go buy a property. Interesting. <laughs> a, year, a year ago, the world was going to end and look what happened. So if you, if you have, a, have a negative view of where we are now, please try and remember what we, what we thought back to last year and then where we are now and then think about a year's time from here so i know it all it might seem negative where you're at the moment but uh, i just i don't think it's is it's one seventh uh, of where we were last year and look what happened yeah 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 i agree with both of your sentiments and and louis just to your point i i i way things are today are not going to be what they are tomorrow i i'm already getting Charlotte's uh, pestering me every single day because on her Instagram, she's got friends in America that are traveling all over Europe and she's like, when the hell are we going to get out of Australia? And it's not going to be long. You know, the vaccines are going to be rolled out. I, I can see light at the end of this tunnel. Mm-hmm. But my, my little hint or tip is to sign up to Wealthy Academy. If you haven't already, there's heaps of really good stuff on there. I, I spent a bit of time on it last night, digging things and putting stuff in there. Um, so I really do encourage it, all of you that are listening that haven't already signed up, jump in, have a little bit of a look around. Even if you, you're intent on buying your own home or 
if you've got any interest in real estate, there's something in there for you. And, you know, I, I welcome all feedback. So jump in, refer your friends and have fun in Academy. And um, yeah, look on the bright side of things. It's, it's sunny outside today, you know, enjoy the rest of your week. And thank you for listening. Gents, thanks for participating. Thank you. Catch up.